0: If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
1: That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
0: To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature.
3: This podcast is powered by Acast.
0: How you doing there? It is podcast time. It's mid-summer. Ireland is basking in unseasonal. Almost. Try, exactly. Try Oh, no, He's always, he always goes, for the, always goes for the second one. The summertime enough will be great, but it's a living easy.
3: How are you, John? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm still recovering, Mac. But I'm on the I'm, mend. You're on the mend. You're on the out mend. Of, out you know. of the hospital,
0: off the gurney. I know, Lazarus. But listen, John, I'll tell you what I'm doing. What? I am going to Pula up the road here in Croatia to right. see the Arctic Monkeys. Good in, band. Good in, band. In probably the best band, at least indie band of the last 20 years. And in Alex Turner, they probably have the best songwriter of the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah. And they are being supported by Lucy's mates, Inhaler. Lucy and, Lucy band. and, Lucy and Inhaler were all in class and school together. So they've yeah. had this extraordinary, you know, it's an amazing thing to have just these guys, you know, from Dublin supporting the Arctic Monkeys. So we're going up to Pula. They're playing in a Roman amphitheater, one of the best preserved Roman amphitheaters in the world. The Croats have turned it into a uh, into a venue, and uh, I've decided this week we're going to talk about the economics of music. This is your old business,
3: indeed it is. And of course, just to 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 say that the Arctic Monkeys are supporting us down the Electric Picnic.
0: <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah, and they've actually <laughs> they've put it up on their website that they're really you know they're they're, they're delighted and honoured to be supporting the yeah, uh, yeah, finest podcast. So. Rightly okay, so. No, but it's against the background of festivals and gigs that I've decided let's talk about the music industry, the economics of music, where it's going, where it's come from, how difficult it is to be a musician. How do you make a crust? Can you earn a living? Can you earn a living from recording? Can you earn a living from playing live? Who makes money? Who doesn't? Why yeah. would people go into music, right? And against that background, we have two Italians or two half-Italians on the show. We have Peter Antonioni, friend of the show and a man who has now had hundreds of thousands of people now blissfully Googling Italian disco. Yeah, yeah, you've really sparked
3: something off there, Peter, I tell you.
0: And we have Josh McEwen, who is with me here, who is a musician, young musician, and he's going to explain to us the difficulty, not the difficulty, what it is to be a musician now, how it is try and make a few quid so peter we're going to come back to you i know you're a little bit jet lagged after a tour of where ontario was it
2: ontario yeah how was that uh it was great except um uh, canadian radio playlists are nothing to about. <laughs> 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 so
0: are we are we still
2: overdrive on repeat oh wow oh
0: man oh wow man. wow wow yeah, I can imagine it's it's that sort of stuff. So it's stuck, what it's going kind to of, prog rock is probably the latest you're going to get from them. So about
2: 70, is it cut off at 75, or 76? No, so, sort of more like 85, about when um, Rush started writing songs. Okay, well, listen, <laughs> the
0: less
3: said the better. Okay, well, we'll come back to you in a sec. Now, Josh, right? Does uh, two half Italians make a whole Italian?
0: Well, I think, yeah, we have we have a whole Italian here. We have we've, we've Josh Italian. I don't Italian- think
2: biology works out that way. Um, Josh
0: Josh of the Italian mother, Peter of the Italian father. We're all genuflecting to Italian disco. In fact, those of you who were uh, listening a couple of weeks ago will know that it is Adriano. What's his name again?
1: That is Adriano Cilentano. Thanks Uh, for having me, David.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Josh has been educating me in the entire uh, Italian music scene and Peter's been giving me the years of lead backdrop to the whole thing. So it's all good. Josh, listen, tell me. Why did you, give me a bit of background, how did you manage to get into music? You know, you're a graduate of music college. What possessed you to decide, you know, I'm going to become
1: a musician? I think it's a pretty sort of standard story. It just sort of happens. You know, there's no kind of epiphanic moments where you just sort of wake up and decide this is my sort of calling. And Everything just sort of happened. And I decided to go to music college in Berlin. And I was actually meant to go to Dublin. I went there and it wasn't as Joycean as I was expecting.
0: <laughs> yeah, the difference between Dublin's pitch and the reality of Dublin, you know, and it's certainly Joycean. It is not actually on the issue of Joyce. Where did Joyce work when he was in Trieste? In Pula, where we're going there you go. in the next night or two. But listen, you wrote a fantastic article, and I'm going to put this article up on my Twitter feed and we're going to talk about it. about. Trying to make money in the music world, and it's really, really, it's 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 brilliant. Give me some examples of possibility or impossibility. Uh,
1: well, I think if you're starting out in music, I think money shouldn't be an issue uh, because you're probably not going to make any. I think uh, it's 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 a little sort of little interesting piece I wanted to write, and it's all based on ifs and buts. But the whole point of it is. We're talking about mechanical royalties, which basically is, you know, the what you're selling your music, you, the actual recording of your music for. And we're not taking into consideration all the other income streams that you might get as a musician. This is purely hypothetical. So what I was trying to do here is trying to give recorded music a value and try to sort of put it a bit in perspective. And I did a few examples. Um, we were looking at the cost of living in London and Dublin. And we were trying to sort of translate the amount of streams you need every month to pay for your living costs. And so we did, uh, you know, we did the boring stuff and we looked at the numbers. And if you consider rent in Dublin, plus, you know, expenses and bills and everything, it can go if you're sort of single person living in a studio flat. It might you might be looking at eleven hundred to sixteen hundred and fifty-ish euros a month.
0: Probably sixteen fifty at this stage. The, yeah, we just had the latest yeah. we just had the this latest is, Dublin I, rent. I, site. Yeah,
1: I wrote this in January, by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's good to see the Dublin <laughs> rent is going up at least about fifteen percent per month.
1: Yeah. Not per year. So go on. So basically, I did a bit of research. Um, you have sort of three or four main streaming platforms that have the sort of Hegemony over recorded music. And these are obviously Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, Deezer, and whatnot. There's plenty more. But let's say Spotify, Apple Music are probably the main, the main players in this game. Spotify will pay you on average somewhere in between 0.003 to 0.005 dollars per stream. Now, obviously, considering you need to have 100% of the master rights. You need to own all your rights to your music. So if you're in a band or if you wrote the song with someone else, you might be getting way less than this. So let's assume you written, recorded everything and it all belongs entirely to you. You would need somewhere in between 230,000 to 590,000 streams a month to cover your living costs, which is rent wow. and bills or 2.8 to 7 million streams a year. And what's really shocking, and this doesn't seem like such a big number in a weird way, but what really shocked me was uh, realizing that you would need about 2.3 thousand to 3.8 thousand streams every hour to make up for an Irish minimum wage, which is about 10, <laughs> 50 euros Jesus! hour.
0: So say that again. So yeah. you'd need how much per hour to make the
3: minimum wage?
1: Let's say on average about 3000 streams per hour, per hour to hour. make the minimum.
3: How about just a pint? How, how <laughs> much do you need just to buy a pint?
1: <laughs> I know. It's probably about, yeah, I'd say about one and a half thousand. Yeah. 1500 to 2000 maybe. I mean, if you're in Dublin, who knows? Well, if you're in Temple Bar, <laughs> yeah. it costs
0: you about 5000 streams <laughs> per hour. But, I mean, but let's let's, let's pair that back, right? So we're talking about three and a half thousand, 4000 streams per hour in order to earn the minimum wage yeah so what does a young musician do then like so 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 you've tried to figure this out in your head and say i don't want to be superstar i just want to actually live
1: yeah you get a real job (laughs) 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 no but seriously i think that the the upside to this is there's been a lot of you know there's been a lot of talk about the streaming model and how it's detrimental and how it devalues music and i'm a believer in that but on the other hand it does also give a platform to people both as a musician and as a listener because you know you're standing here you're listening to italian disco here in uh, croatia but this would have been a lot harder for you if you were buying physical records because you would have had to go through you know the whatever whichever shop you're going to and you need to the, the, it's actually harder to discover new music now this is from the point of view of a listener and from a point of view of a musician it's just you. It, I've, I've done this yesterday because I'm releasing a single soon, and you do it in five minutes. You pay thirty dollars to the distribution company, and then you're set. And as opposed to having to sort of brown nose some executive or you know go through the A and R process and everything, it's 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 really hard to give a a, a sort of a judgment on this because uh, there's pros and cons. Sure,
0: between- sure. But I mean, I mean, in terms of projecting forward how many musicians are doing these type of numbers? I mean, what is the average musician doing? What's the average band doing? I mean, who's doing 4,000 downloads per hour? I mean, is it a huge amount? Is it it a tiny amount in the industry?
1: Well, I think that the problem with that is the people who are making these numbers are the people that shouldn't be concerned on paying their rent because they're already making so much money from other income streams you know just like gigging touring merchandise and all of that makes up for probably a good bit more than what you're making through streaming if you look at someone like i don't know ed sheeran he's probably making millions from spotify alone but i think that is still a very small percentage of his overall net worth Yeah, because he's selling at huge stadiums and he's doing all
0: the merch and uh, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Josh, can I ask you, like, so where's the most profitable part of the income stream? Is it merchandise? Is it the selling of the T-shirts and the hats and all that kind of stuff? Or is it kind of a gig fee or or where's that at?
1: I think if you're starting out, it's probably probably down to either the advance you get from your record label if you're signed or publishing deals really that's that's where I right. think a lot of the money is i think if you're if you're starting out as a musician and you get signed from a record label, you might get a good bit of money up front as you advance to invest in your music and then once you've spent that money, once you've invested it into recording your first album and this and that, you will be able hopefully to you know go on a tour and then you start making money. From the tour, and then you make money from the merchandise, and so it's yeah. it's it's it's, it's, yeah. it's
3: almost chicken and egg, and because I suppose you know back in the day as well, there there used to be a, a fair bit of income that came from radio play, like the BBC, for instance, would pay forty or fifty quid per per play, but in order to get onto the playlist, you have to have a profile, mm-hmm. uh, and in order to have the profile, you have to have Lots of people listening in the first place, so it's that yeah. kind of, you know, what comes first. It's breaking into the the, the business is the mm-hmm. is the really tricky bit, I suppose, for for young artists starting up.
1: But I, I mean, in fairness to Spotify, they do have this sort of the the playlist model, which I think is pretty similar to what radio would have been back in the day. And as an unsigned artist, you can pitch your song for, you know editorial consideration and then it can be placed into one of the Spotify playlists. Yeah. I think that's kind of sort of the equivalent of, you know, getting your single on the radio on BBC or whatever, uh, you know, in the back in the day before before the internet. Also, I mean, I didn't mention this yet, but also sync is another big, big uh income stream for musicians. What's sync? Sync is uh getting your music played on films and adverts and video games and all that. That, that If you think, do you know, do you know, um, FIFA, the, yeah. the, 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 football, the football thing yeah. video game? Yeah. A lot of bands and artists became famous or popular because of the FIFA board of sort of editors that are in charge of getting new music for their video games.
0: Right. So that's, that's, that's the avenue. But I mean, I just, what I, what I want to ask you is like, to the extent that in your twenties, everybody needs to launch everybody needs to actually feel some progress to what extent are these sort of numbers just forcing people to abandon music because it's all very well to go to festivals loads of people are going to festivals this weekend mm-hmm. next weekend etc right but i'm not too sure that people have figured out how hard it is just to get on the stage just to produce this mm-hmm. music and the fact that loads and loads of legacy bands mm-hmm. like your lady gagas of this mm-hmm. world your rolling stones of this world who are selling out right and they're sucking up huge amount of revenue but the actual i mean music like everything lives and dies by innovation by modernity by new stuff coming out by new movements it's a youth movement yeah. in effect and in a way the the ability of the youth to actually stick with the game mm-hmm. until you tip over yeah seems to be given rents given cost of living it's, it seems to be almost
1: impossible yeah i think there's not enough hours in a day to 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 sort of have a job and focus on your music and do all the stuff that you should be doing. Like it's, it's I've been kind of thinking about this recently and, and, and there seems to be not enough time. I'm Sure. You get this in any sort of career or job when you're starting out. I mean, I think it, it kind of boils down to, you know, the cost of living is so high and what you get paid. If you're a musician, what you're getting paid for is getting lower and lower. So it's, it's kind of like the two things don't seem to be meeting in between. And I think, yeah, I think it it is detrimental and it is discouraging for a lot of musicians who are maybe less financially stable than others, and just maybe have to sort of turn it into a hobby rather than you know.
0: Well, you see, I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, when uh, so little little bit of information we have disclaimer disclaimer is that Josh and my daughter Lucy are in the same band together, right? They're playing. Josh plays guitar in Lucy's band, and there's a certain thing that Dad would say why doesn't she just go out with an accountant or a lawyer, (laughs) you know, or some guy in a marketing department? But I mean, the great thing is the creativity is there and the creativity will out. It will out eventually, but it's just getting from here to there. So I think, Josh, listen, thank you so much for coming on the show. When actually we're going to, we'll release the single on the show. When's it on? it's,
1: uh, It's out on August the 26th. August the
0: 26th, okay, Josh McEwan, he will be playing out on the podcast of August the 26th. And we are now going to go to the other Italian, Peter Antonioni, lecturer in economics, management, strategy, all good things, to put a bit of context on this.
3: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash
2: host. Peter, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks, mate. And you? I'm great. I'm
0: flying. I'm flying. So explain to me, you've thought about this from the economics perspective for a long, long time. You've been gigging and going to gigs for a long, long time. You, you're from London, arguably the centre of music for a long, long time. What do you think has happened over the years to end up in a situation where young musicians are doing the back of the envelope calculation and they're saying, man, I'd have to get 5,000 downloads an hour to get the minimum wage?
2: It, the short answer is it's slightly complex. There's a number of factors that have all gone into it and I think have all gone into it at about the same time. So you get all of these things come together and that's what, you know, uh, created a landscape that's very, very difficult in music at the moment. Now, it's worth prefacing everything by saying that for the vast majority of recorded human history, musician was not a stable or a money making job. You know, if you sing for your supper, you always you're always in that position of trying to find the next coin. And that's been, you know, pretty much most of human history. It changed in the mid 20th century. And now, if you like, we've got a return to something like those old conditions. So why did it change in the 20th century? So in the 20th century, firstly, we had this new exciting industry came along, which involved actually recording music. And we have a recorded music industry, funnily enough, because gramophone manufacturers wanted people to buy turntables. So they um, immediately realized, well, a turntable's no good without something to play on it. And that's how we got the things like Deutsche Grammophon and all of these uh HMV
0: and those sort of things.
2: Yes, exactly. So it come it actually came from so you've got two complementary products. You've got one I mean, on which you play the music and you've got the music itself so if you're making one of them it might be a good bet to be in the other side of the industry as well and you can say that this is you know if you like this is something that's similar to what we have with two-sided platform markets now in a in a way in that you've got a manufacturer who wants to sell you equipment but needs things to be on that equipment so that's why it makes sense, for example, for Apple to set up their iTunes service. It can, creates a halo effect, a positive feedback between the two sides. So we have this. Then after World War Two, we have a population boom. We have the other side of it. The demand side of it comes from young people's wages for the first time being significant enough for them to go out and buy the fripperies of life. And so includes- this, is the,
0: this is the beginning of like the. The concept of the teenager, the late teenager, the early worker,
2: the mods and rockers. Absolutely, you know, fashion, yeah. All that sort of, so 50s, 60s. So you have that. That comes along with a population and economic boom. So there's a, a graph you can find out there that um, has uh, Rolling Stone top albums and shows that it correlates very, by year and shows that it correlates very, very closely with US oil production. And of course, it's not that U.S. oil production directly causes good music. It's that these are both two things that come out of this same economic growth process after World War II.
0: Yeah, so it's the, it's the world of Olivia Newton-John's Greece that we're talking about.
2: Absolutely. So that's the start of it, right? So we get that, we get that, and it happens a little bit later in Britain, but the same thing happens as happened in the U.S. And, and then a little bit later still across Europe, but the same process goes on. This structure works quite well for a while. And when I say quite well, it means I'm really saying that there isn't a big disruption that's going to come along and change it particularly. I mean, musicians still at that time are griping. I mean, the the song about, uh, you know, being annoyed with your record label is, um, you know, it, <laughs> it's, it's, one of, it's one of the perennials, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a staple. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, it's a staple. You know, I will survive was because the guy got locked out of his studio. No way. Why? You know?
0: I just have an image of you in rollerblades and hot pants singing, I will survive Peter, well, I'll get that out of my head.
2: No, I'd I'd be much more <laughs> rain and blood, but uh...
0: <laughs> as well, I suppose next as an ex cage fighter. <laughs> so go on. So so yeah, this is fascinating. So so then we're into the we're into now this technological change.
2: Right. So the technological change starts in a couple of ways, the first one is the change in digitalization and recording. And this this comes a little bit before digitalization in distribution, which happens in the first place with the compact disc. And then one other thing about a, a piece of digital content of any kind, you know, and we use content, it's an ugly word, but it's a word that's helping me abbreviate that I want to talk about music, books, film, television, sure, yeah, absolutely yeah. Some structure underneath it. So, content has this feature that it is firstly hard to create. It incurs a fixed cost along the way to do it. And secondly, that the pressure will be for the price of content to fall to nothing once it's digital, because the cost associated with getting that piece of content to an extra viewer, listener, reader, whatever, is zero. And eventually, Prices in a competitive-ish market, they will start to have this pressure to fall down. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Okay, so we have this. We're just looking now at this point for a technology that enables this takeoff of the digital market. Lo and behold, it comes out in the 90s. It's called MP3. And then this happens at the same time as people are starting to get broadband networks. So... The next thing is the interfacing of broadband networks with each other, allowing content to be transmitted from any user to any user without a central intermediary. And that's peer-to-peer. And that's how we got the Napster Wars. Now, the Napster Wars basically did, what emerged from it was this very, very strong pressure downwards To have the price of what you you know what you're charging a piece of music as being either negligible or close to zero and funded by a third party as much as anything else, Spotify has a big problem. By the way, because Spotify's big problem is it has to pay out a lot of money to get the rights to have things on its network, but it has to also persuade people that they want to buy the premium subscriptions to it, which took a long time for it to get any traction with at all. So you have, you have that problem with it.
0: So we're up the Napster wars, the Napster wars destroy our present a challenge to the record labels. They react by trying to shut it down. And Doesn't obviously work. that makes no bloody sense at all. It then no. reemerges as a streaming platform, a, a Spotify platform. And tell me what else is going on? Because Then, of course, I presume lots and lots of record labels go by the wayside.
2: They do. And it's particularly smaller ones that um, either stop or become web-only labels or put up a notice saying, we're not releasing new music, but we're here supporting, you you know, all of these things. So you, you have this collapse. Now, it's worth pointing out as well that the majority of artists really did not earn out their advances, right? If you're a record label, if, and you're a big label in particular, you're taking the bet on one in 10 doing that. You know, you're taking the bet that one of those is going to be such a big earner that so the I'm other sure. nine can be written off.
0: It's like the VC industry in, in, in Silicon Valley, Absolutely.
2: exactly the same model. And that's, how, and that's how record lab, what record labels really are. So first thing so you're throwing off shit down. at the
3: wall and something will stick,
2: right? But you know you've got to point out that your sell here and this is exactly what you were saying about uh, getting your your music out, right? The the big sell wasn't was what the label could do for you in terms of getting you an audience. Maybe that was underhanded payments to pluggers on the on the radio to get your record yeah. played. Maybe that's yeah. tour support. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's advances on recording or whatever. You always made that deal because, you, you know, you have this thing that you were precious about and you wanted to get to the audience. Your only bargaining chip is those rights. So you would sell something of those rights to somebody else under the presumption that they can get you the audience. And in 10% of cases, they actually did.
0: And don't yeah. tell me, Peter, right now, okay, so you've got the technological change on the demand side, you the technological change on the supply side, you have a whole revolution in in the industry. And does that now demand that the musician, the artist, needs of to a totally? I think you call it the three hundred and sixty model of. That's you've got to be across everything.
2: That's right, and the, you know, if you look at if you look at what uh, the majors are, are plugging, and you've mentioned Ed Sheeran earlier or Lady Gaga, you know, at the top end, these three hundred and sixty deals are terrifically lucrative for both sets of parties. Yeah, it's uh, it's basically one of those cases where the VC really works and you do build a market and once you've got that market is a very big one you sweat it for all that you can for every penny
0: so you're so, vlogging everything as people turn up i know you're a spurs fan i know lady gaga i think played, it, you, played
2: at played at the lane yeah
0: yeah at the lane and uh do you still call it the lane even though it's this new kind
3: of
2: it's it'll always be the line.
0: Oh right, my <laughs> mate. It's always the line. All right, but
3: I mean also, but... also the big technological change in the production side in the early nineties, late, late eighties, oh. early nineties. Where oh, absolutely you know, when, when when I was working in the music industry as a as a recording engineer and producer, what you used to do is book a studio for a month or a couple of months or whatever, It used to cost the record company an absolute fortune. And then all of a sudden technology became quite cheap. And when I say technology, it's the kind of sequencers and samplers and all that kind of stuff. And then all of of a sudden you had these young fellas in their bedrooms knocking out dance music. And that's where, that's one of the reasons why dance music and house music and the whole rave scene took off in in the early 90s
2: oh yeah and- i mean look yeah you know, engineers engineers union here represent because you know it's job <laughs> I've done as well and absolutely how how long did you spend checking the buyers on the tape deck in the morning yeah before the session started <laughs> yeah oh, yeah yeah deck. in fact you know what i do i've got a plug-in that simulates uh not correctly buyers tape deck for me now you know what? <laughs> Rather than rather than costing you know what was a Studer in those days? About 1,400 quid? At least. At yeah, least. I, I mean, I, I've got that price in my head. I mean, I know that I, they were really expensive, right? Well, yeah. it's 200 quid now. You can have one that, that you can get the sound of not just a Studer. You can get, a, you know, um, an yeah. ampeg, You can get whatever or, or you yeah. know. And you can you have all you have all
3: sorts of plugins where you even get the crackle of, of the vinyl and everything. I mean, you know, you know,
0: here they open. go, here they go. I Absolutely. knew it was the, the the engineers nerding out. You know exactly. Well, not not only, I mean, I'm
2: going to come down to a really economic point here, right? The average sa- median salary of a recording engineer in Britain right now is thirteen thousand pounds. Wow! Wow!
0: It's so good job you're into podcasting now, Davis. Absolutely. I'm glad I got out of it when I did. Leverage into the world of economics. <laughs> Peter, I mean, I just, I mean, just one thing is if people, if people don't know Peter, you'll see him at Kilconomics. is a Kilconomics regular, but on his right arm, he has a most extraordinary tattoo. And it is the tattoo of the face of Joseph Schumpeter. Okay. And Joseph Schumpeter, as you know, is an economist, who believes in the relentless gales of creative destruction. So at the core of all economic innovation and wealth creation is this risk-taking entrepreneur who makes everything happen. This is Schumpeter's worldview. So it's all about people. To what extent, Peter, is this just a Schumpeterian story that we're... This is an entirely
2: Schumpeterian story. This is about... This is about as perfect a Schumpeterian story as you can imagine. I mean, uh, you know, music, if you were going to pick one industry that's had the howling gales of creative destruction flying through it, you, you pick music. I mean, it, it's, a, it's about, the, you know, one of the most perfect uh, mappings onto his theory that you can think of. And the, the really important thing about creative destruction is it tears down by building anew. So all of these so things so what is the new? What is new? What's what's the, what's coming? What's coming? Well, that's really difficult to for anyone to tell you about as far as you know what a cultural movement or cultural product is. And I think the only way you do that is you know you just look at where it's coming from. What are these people saying? How where are they meeting? How is it hanging out? How are they hanging out? Etc. I think, you know, one of the things that's happened that militates against, for example, rock music is firstly, it's actually relatively difficult. I mean, it can get very, very difficult to play if we go, if we start going on into the dream theatres and stuff like that of the world, right? So, you know, so it's something you have to practice at to be good at, right? So that's a load of time where you're not shipping any product. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Secondly, it involves a group of people and, you know, uh, keeping a group of people together to finish a project, you know, that's not easy either, especially in any game, in any game, any game whatsoever, you know, so, so you have that, uh, that problem. Third thing, it needs places to play. And one of the big problems has been the absolute decimation. Actually, uh, decimation underplays it. Decimation is te- technically losing a tenth. This is more like apocalypse, you know, uh, of small places. And um, this has happened. And
0: Dublin, with- uh, by the way, just stop you there. Dublin listeners will really know this, that Dublin seems to have lost venues hand over fist over the Absolutely. last. But recently, like in the last 10 years, where there are precious few venues to play. and. Yeah. They're almost impossible for people to get a slot, impossible to get your music out there. I presume it's the same in London, is it?
2: Absolutely. I mean, you've got quite a few features there. So for example, you know, you're talking about making rent in an inflated property market. Well, property is actually one of the things that's been doing the damage. You know, you get you get a nice area with uh, a, that's got a nice creative feel to it. You put up some luxury flats there. You sell those off for a lot of money. And suddenly the people who paid a lot of money for it start going around saying, well, that club downstairs from me—it's a bit noisy, isn't it? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not going to be able to sell on my flat for uh, a profit if if this thing stays open. Yeah, I'm going correct. to have light on it. Gentrification
0: destroys creativity, you're no doubt, particularly if the creativity is dependent on venues. And also, then of course, the venue itself becomes an asset, where the owner of the venue says, "Well, look, my heart's not in this stuff anymore." And a developer has said, "Listen, I'll give you five million for this for the plot," and he says, "Okay, fine, because I'm going to build." 20 flats on it to sell to the very people who will destroy the creativity of the venue in the first place. So you've got this. Absolutely. Club. Typically in cities, though, you know, areas move and people shunt along and they go to different places.
2: Right. But something weird has been happening with development and housing markets, I think, in major metropolises that, you know, it's not like uh, Camden's now closing down or becoming luxury flats and uh, Romford is setting up as the as the new gigging area it's that both camden and romford are doing that and it's just that the flat is a little, little bit more expensive and more central in camden so we've been squeezed by both sides so so in other words this this thing is going on in more than just metropolitan you know the big metropolitan areas so if something like that is coming along right i mean a great, a great example is the city I was in last week, Thunder Bay in you know, northern Ontario. That's kind of the kind of place that things are going to come out of because there are still places to gig there because it's still relatively cheap.
0: Okay, your top 10 Canadian rock and roll bands, starting with Brian Adams. Uh, <laughs> ten. <laughs> ten. <laughs> 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 I think you just Peter Antonioni, <laughs> a man who knows... Frankly, everything. What do you uh, call him in, in Italian? A tutologo. A tutologo.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
0: Probably the world's yeah. finest. Well, certainly in my economic world, a tutologo of the finest, finest quality is stumped. So we're going to leave it you, there. I'll, the question- it,
2: I'll, I'll say. I'll say, obviously, rush, but only from greats under pressure onwards.
0: Oh, listen, that's very specific, <laughs> slightly nerdy you got out there. So the question at the end of the Dave McQueen's podcast is top 10 Canadian Rock and roll bands. Actually, Canadian dance music, is there such?
2: Uh, well, I suppose there's Carly Ray Jepson. Actually, Richie Horton.
0: Richie, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because we yeah. are going now. Josh and I are going from Italian disco to Russian synth. Is that our latest thing?
1: Yes, the uh, Dark Wave synth.
0: Okay, that's where we're going. Dark wave, synth. dark wave synth. We are going to Etta Katerinburg for some Dark Wave synth. We will see you guys on a Thursday. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. This one's on music. It kind of just struck me as we are talking, though, in the old days, you released an album and you toured to promote the album. It now seems to me that basically what you're doing is you're releasing the album to promote the tour. That seems the way the way work the the world is. Yeah. We'll
2: go in cycles with each other. So there may well be another change in that cycle in some way or another, but it depends on people then having the money to spend and having a valuation for actually having the product.
0: Fair enough. Peter Antonioni, Josh McCune, of course, Mr. Davis. We'll see you all on Thursday. While I have you there, listen, I just want to say thank you so much to all our Patreons who really supported myself and John throughout the last nearly three years. Man. Three years, I wow. Know, it's a long time. <laughs> I thought it only started last week. <laughs> it's such a good crack though, <laughs> isn't it? It is,
3: it is, it is. It is. It's like I'm it's <laughs> like
0: the dream gig, you know. <laughs> thank you very, very much. And if you do want to support us on Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. You get ad-free You get courses, you get chats, you can ask me questions, all sorts of stuff, and you really become part of the gang. So that's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. And again, thank you very much.
1: Even when we're on a budget,
0: we still deserve nice things.